Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Peter Michael with us here tonight with EliteAgentSecrets.com. Make sure you head over to their website. They also have a podcast by the same name. And uh, really appreciate your time, Peter. And a lot of people are going to wonder why we're going to be talking real realtors and real estate investing here tonight. But we were just talking before we hit record that there's a lot of synergy here and we use a lot of the same tactics and Peter helps a lot of real estate investors in his market, whether in market or out of market, actually. So really appreciate your time here, Peter. Jack, thank you so much for having me. I, I know this is going to be a little bit different. So I'm glad to bring it a little bit of a different flavor to the show. Yeah, no, this is going to be a great conversation. So I'm going to start things off with a question I get a lot. And that is, why should an investor get a realtor license? Well, I guess the money thing, right, would be the first thing. If you want to save a little bit on the commission, 3%, especially like in my state, most most commonly, that's what it is. So if you're buying, you know, a $500,000 property, take 3% of that. That's some money in your pocket that you can put towards your closing costs, but also have access to the MLS. Even though we do acquire a lot of properties off market and we get them direct from sellers, there are definitely advantages. There's definitely hidden gems in MLS uh, because every other platform is very much delayed. So if you have somebody and if you're, let's say, even investing at a distance, which a lot of my investors do, and if you're good and you do what you're supposed to do as a real estate agent, I work on the behalf of the investor, which means I know the market and my job, my fiduciary duties to them and to protect them. So by having my license or being a licensed real estate agent and a real estate investor, now you have a little bit more of intimate knowledge of the market, the inventory, really what's happening. And you just, you know, yeah, I would say you have probably some different advantages, like I just mentioned now. Do you find anything that would be restriction uh, restrictive? Like uh, anything that would, somebody might want to second guess whether they should get a become a realtor? You know, the only restrictions that I have is sometimes it's a it's a hard line because when I do find deals, depending on where I am, it's, you know, like, do I take this deal for myself or do I put it out to my investors? So ultimately, because I am licensed, I always put my clients first, which means my fiduciary duty, as, as much as the deal would be great, um, sometimes I do, you know, go in on some of these deals with my, with, with my clients, um, which gives me a little bit more skin in the game. And at the end, um, I think what's unique about my approach also is uh, we help them facilitate. So a lot of our clients buy at a distance. So they're not licensed in this state. So we are able to merge the gap. And if we're going in on the project with them, obviously there's financial incentives there, but we also help them all the way to the finish line for managing the project all the way to then having the ability to resell it. So if you are doing fix and flips, you're doing burrs, you're saving money on the buy, and you're also saving money on the sell. 6%, you know, mm -hmm. that's a lot in this market, especially when the properties are, are a little bit higher than what you'd expect. Well, you, you were mentioning before we hit record too, that you have a lot of out-of-state investors. You're in Florida. I am. 
Um, so what do you, what kind of activity are you seeing with regarding uh, investors right now? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, Jack. A lot of the stuff that I deal with, because I relocated from Philadelphia, a lot of my guys are New York, New Jersey. I have some clients coming in from Chicago. So in those particular states and cities, what's happening is that properties are also selling for all-time highs. You know, I have investors that are liquidating their portfolios in Pennsylvania and moving it all down here because everybody's, you know, kind of gearing up for what's going to be the next step. And Florida has been more of a safer bet because COVID has really accelerated things in the sense that our properties are up, I think, 30 now. I know year over year, there were, you know, condos were up 26% alone. Our properties values are still climbing. And right now what we're seeing is the purchase prices are getting closer to where the appraised prices are, which then in return allows our investors to rent because the rents have doubled, right? They're able to acquire properties um, and then sell them for a lot higher in a very short amount of time frame. Right before we, you know, we hit record. I was just telling you one of my investors put a property for about four fifty, put about a hundred thousand dollars of renovations in it, and we're about to sell it for about eight hundred thousand because of how quickly the market is appreciated in, in, in Southeast Florida specifically. Now West West Coast is a little bit different, uh, but that's what I'm seeing actually in Southeast Florida, where a lot of the money that's coming from the North is because prices are, you know, houses are selling for all time high. So what's where 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 better to park their money, you know, on the water, high, very high migration state. And our population is, I think we have like thousand or fifteen hundred people moving to Florida every day, which yeah, that's is, just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's just crazy. Dealing with buyers is not fun as as a real estate agent sometimes. That I'll tell you mm-hmm. that. I do like investors because they're coming in with cash. Or they're, you know, they're, they're buying their second, third, fourth property. They have access to hard money. And if they don't, we give them access to hard money. And they're just a lot more nimble, a lot more flexible. And because we're selling in this market, or I should say I'm selling in this market all day, every day, we're able to pick up deals and capitalize on the opportunities that a lot of people, you know, just kind of pass on by because they're afraid of touching a property that's 30, 40 years old and quite frankly needs a lot of TLC. I mean, they're just they're expecting to come in here, buy shells, but it's OK because they just, you know, sold one property up north and down here they can buy two, you know. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how far do you go? Start with sourcing the property for an investor. Sure. You, you've already talked about getting some construction uh, people involved. I mean, it, it sounds like you're kind of a one stop shop in, in regards to helping helping an investor from beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and that's that's a very valid point because when I got into this business, um, I have some property up north myself because I moved down here with my family from Philly, Pennsylvania. Um, and I noticed that a lot of investors would invest out of state, but they didn't have a trusted advisor that had their best interests at heart. Or they were, you know, they were like, hey, I'll invest, but I don't really want to do a lot of renovations because I don't have a crew. I don't have people down here. So I saw that as an opportunity to essentially kind of capitalize on, right, where I could be that white glove service for my clients, help them acquire the property, then help them find the right contractors, the right GCs, you know, the, the right people to do the job to maximize their ROI on the property. and then. Also, even go as far as either renting it out for them, managing the rental, any or even selling the property. 
right? And that put me in a little bit of a unique position because I was able to take my network from the north, you know, the northeast area, bring it down here, and at the same time, start my real estate career because I've just been acquiring property without a license for the past like five or six years. And one of the first questions you ask me is like, what's the biggest advantage? All the money that I saved, not only to myself, but even to my clients by being licensed, because there's different creative ways that we can acquire now property by having, you know, kind of like an insider's look into the market. Sure. Well, talk a little bit about what you're doing then, because you mentioned that one benefit is finding these properties off the MLS probably a little bit before the public. But you were talking about acquiring properties that are not on the MLS as well. Like, what are you doing to source those properties today? Great question. So we have a few different strategies. A lot of our strategies are in social media. So we do run Facebook advertising and paid ads for people who are looking to sell their house. Um, we either, you know, we list it or we buy a cash and that's when the investors do come in. That's one strategy. The second strategy is a very simple mailer, believe it or not, still works. It is very old school, but it's one of those highly effective methods. Now, I'm not a door, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a door knocker. I'm not a cold caller by heart. So that was something that was very difficult for me, but, but I do, or I should say, I am able to put a mailer together. And it's very simple. It's about four or five lines. It says, hey, Mr. You know, so-and-so, we get the list from a company lo locally that we basically are able to skip trace and get the owner's names, phone numbers, emails, and addresses. And then we focus on a specific neighborhood where we're saying, hey, we have potential buyers and potential investors that are interested in your property. If you're interested in buying or selling, here's a quick little link. And we have a QR code. And that basically drops them to a lander where they're either getting seasoned by our Google Pixel and our Facebook Pixel, then we can retarget them and they get to see us over and over again. Or they just simply give us a call to a, to a tracking phone number that then we can tie back to which mailer campaign that we put out to see which neighborhood is effective. One of the big things that I've noticed is that when you focus on the neighborhood, you have to stay in the neighborhood for long enough time for people to actually start recognizing. So we don't do just like one batch of mailers, you know, once and, and be done. We're actually sending out mailers to the same neighborhood for three, six, nine, or even as much as 12 months, sometimes weekly and biweekly. And then we move to monthly. And then we combine that with the social media strategies where all of our pages, everything is, you know, either buying, selling, investing. There's a little bit of personal stuff on there. And that gets them in our, you know, that marketing sphere that allows us to find them on Google, find them on Facebook, find them on YouTube. And um, there's the repetition that really gets our, our, our people calling in, our sellers calling in. So just to clarify something there, then when you say a lander, you mean like a squeeze page, right? Like a, like yes. a, a place for them to, to land. And then you obviously are making use of like Facebook pixels, Google pixel to track their, Absolutely. so that you're retargeting those. As I'm sure that there's a way then when you're doing that, it also keeps that secondary third, fourth touches online, those costs under control because you're only retargeting those people that raised their hand or showed that initial interest? Yes. So the, the numbers are kind of crazy. So you're right on. We have a very simple page with a survey that asks for a person's address, email, 
phone number, just basic contact information and whether or not they want to share additional features uh, about the property with us, maybe their timeline and how much they like to receive as an offer, right? Mm -hmm. And then that does go and creates a custom audience. So not to get too techy, but basically we segment our audiences, you know, on Facebook, on Google, uh, we collect all of that data. And as soon as they opt in, there's just a follow-up sequence that somebody from our team either calls or texts or emails because we know that sometimes may not be the right time. Sometimes people just want to know the value of their house, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not ready to sell. Maybe they don't have the pain point yet. But if they're not ready today because of the follow-up that we do through online and offline strategy, it gets combined to your point, retargeting is probably a quarter of our cost. So let's say if it takes us $15 to acquire a completely filled out survey about somebody wanting a cash offer for their house, mm -hmm. it'll probably take us 3 to $5 for us to be able to retarget them and get that survey if they haven't filled it out the first time. So our right. budget on retargeting is a quarter of what our initial acquisition would be otherwise. And another thing that you mentioned that I, I think is really important to, to call out is that you're not, you're resending postcards over and over. And you're even going as far as doing it on maybe even a weekly basis over the course mm -hmm. of 12 months. It's, I, I can't emphasize th that enough is the concept that it's that persistent, consistent mailing mm -hmm. because you and I've seen the statistics. It, it, it's anywhere from eight touches, if not more these days for somebody yes. to take that initial action. Yes. And, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. When somebody opts in and even to our survey, like let's table the mailer stuff just for a second here. It takes eight to 12 touch points for them to even start recognizing our number and consider picking it up. Even though they said, I want to sell my property as soon as possible. Here's all the details, but they don't trust us yet. You know, they, they, they think we're just trying to pull a fast one. We're going to lowball them. You know, the standard stuff that every mm -hmm. single investor typically deals when they're trying to acquire properties off market. But then what's happening is they see our mailers and it's consistent, right? And it happens over and over again. Then they see us on Facebook and then they see us on Google. So it builds that credibility and builds that trust. So what happens is once they're ready, they're ready, right? It's not like, mm, maybe I'm going to do this. No, it's like, okay, great, Pete, let's chat. Come by the house. Let me know what you think. And then either I, we, you know, we acquire it, we put it out to our investors, or that depends of what we want to do, or we acquire it ourselves. Nine out of 10 times, even when we take listings as real estate agents, if we don't sell it when we have it under contract and under the listing agreement, we'll happily buy the property because we know it's a good property because we don't take on bad properties, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win for the sellers. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is when it comes to the mailers is because they're seeing it consistently now we're at the top, you know, forefront of their mind, top of their mind. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a house and I see a stack of mailers. Yeah. You know, people just put it away. Yes, they do end up in the trash, but the golden rule is it has to be simple enough for them to consume it from the mailbox to the trash can in their kitchen. If I can make, if I can get my message across and they can understand what the mailer actually is and it's simple enough. And the design is good from the perspective that it's not just a bunch of information. That's, you know, how, how much Jimmy, Karen, and everybody else sold their house for, but what we can actually do for them, you know, help them from the perspective of not even getting a top dollar, because that's what, obviously that's what everybody wants. 
But what about finding them the next property after that? Like, yes, they'll happily sell us the property. Maybe it's, you know, let's say it's run down, but where are they going to go after they sell us the property? So we help facilitate that effort from, you know, the the buy side as well. And we make that in all of our marketing very much known, right? We're, you know, for the people, you buy the people for the people. We go real estate transaction and, and beyond. That's our tagline mm-hmm. because we want to make sure that not only are we taking care of our clients who are the investors, but we're also taking over clients who are essentially the sellers, right? That's, that's, that's key. And that's how we get also a lot of repeat business, a lot of referrals. I can't tell you how many times that people are like, hey, we saw your mailer. You saw you on Facebook. Why don't you call so-and-so? They're actually looking to sell, but I'm, I, I'm not ready yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times we actually get investors that do see our, some of our postcards. These guys are local. And they're like, gosh, like, you know, I got six or seven or eight or 12 pieces from you in the last six months. I got to talk to you, right? Right. Um, because every investor, they, they, they all have different strategies. We all acquire properties a little bit differently. We all have a little bit of different bandwidth, a little bit of different time. And that's the, the, the biggest, you know, variation. So when you're working with a real estate agent who actually knows what they're doing, they're in tune with the market, they have access to properties, and that's all they do every day, all day. Then that's when you have the advantage, you know, to work with somebody like that, as opposed to just having them cost you the 3% on the acquisition, right? Because sure. we all know the money's in the buy. Yeah. No, I, I can't tell you how many times I've lost track now of how many times I've had somebody call and they're finally ready to sell and they, they're they actually calling off of a postcard that I sent out two mm-hmm. years ago. Wow. And they had, they had kept kept hold of it. Like it so was in I haven't been store. in the business long enough to get that just yet, but <laughs> yeah. Well, there's been it's times awesome. too, and and you know it's it's a sad turn of events, but life happens, right? Like yeah. a, a parent passes away, and the parent had the postcard in the in the drawer when the kids are cleaning out the house. They they find it and give us a phone call. So there's something that causes them to hold on to that postcard at uh, sometimes. Exactly, and it's, so like it's. So I got this strategy. I was actually talking to one of my colleagues in the office. They're now part of my team. It's like, I used to just get the same postcard, but maybe like every once, every six months, maybe once a year. And I'm like, oh, cool. It's got a lot of colors. looks pretty cool. Maybe when I start doing postcards or become an agent, this is something I'd be interested in doing, right? And I noticed because I... I I'm I'm a I'm a marketing hoarder. <laughs> All the different pieces, you know, I just have a specific drawer. I, I put stuff in there to see because when I'm getting ready to do another batch, I don't need to think about what I'm gonna do. I can just go and look what's you know what what inspires me, see the good, the bad, and you know keep that in when we're putting our designs together and we're getting ready to do another batch or we're going into a different neighborhood, we're getting a little bit of feedback. So we have a historic track record of everything that we've done. And I got this postcard, right? And it just stood out out of a stack of all the postcards. This one was the only one that had some colors on it. That was a little bit different. That wasn't just filled with a bunch of properties. And I just started asking myself, it's like, hmm, why is this one the one that out of a stack of 50 or 100 sticks out? Well, it's got the colors. It's had a super unique character char- caricature of the guy, mm. right? So ironically, it stood out. So I just ended up giving him a call. And lo and, lo and behold, that's when we started putting our, you know, our heads together. And all of a sudden, we started, you know, 
doing these more frequently. And that's what we've noticed is that sometimes when we do walk into the house, like you're saying, there's that postcard stuck in the drawer or the kids are cleaning mm-hmm. it out or the person needs to move. Maybe they're relocating. Maybe they're going into a retirement community, right? We do mm-hmm. have, in, in at least in my city, there is that transitionary period where people are going into retirement community. The kids now need to take care of it. What are they going to do? Are they going to go, you know, and hopefully find somebody on Google? Well, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. It can happen, but most likely they're going to go to the guys that have 15 different postcards in, you know, mom's and dad's drawer or whatever it may be. Right. So, you know, before we jump ahead here, I'm going to ask you about the market conditions here because of COVID and everything else uh, that's going on here, Peter. But before I do, I wanted to take a moment and remind everybody to check out Peter's podcast and his website. Head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com. And the podcast is by the same name. So definitely check that out and, and subscribe there because it sounds like you really have some interesting conversations. You actually bring on other realtors and they share their tips and strategies that are working in the today's market, right? Absolutely. So we interviewed top producing agents all across the globe. And I say globe because we also had some people in Australia and other countries, not just North America specifically. And they share some of their best stuff that helped them build their empires. We recently just featured somebody who did 2,600 transactions. So that's wow. that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. So with that being said, what are you doing right now in today's market? What has changed over the past two, three years for you when it comes to locating these properties? Yeah, that's that's a that's a good and a very loaded question. Um, I think the biggest thing is being more personal and being able to create more trust um, and credibility in a shorter amount of time, being in front of people at scale. And that's what you know social media allows us to do. When we're posting our stuff, there I can't tell you how many times people just go on my Instagram, they see me selling real estate. But then the people that want to sell their properties and, and, you know, we're working with our investors, they're like, oh, well, I feel like I know you. I've been watching you for the for the last six, seven, eight, nine, 12 months. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't ready to sell then, but something like Jackie were saying, something happened and all of a sudden we need to sell and you've been consistent. We've been watching you. So we come almost kind of feel like we know you. This is essentially why we're also in the process of launching a YouTube channel, be a lot more educational. So that's the biggest pivot that we've done. Instead of being a lot transactional, we're very relationship driven. And a lot of a lot of it also is found foundationally in being educational because whether somebody wants to buy and sell the property or they want to invest with us, they may not know exactly what's happening in the market. They may not want to be investing at a distance or they may not even feel comfortable investing at a distance. So our goal is to kind of merge that gap and educate, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing, for, especially for our investors. Um, when we're going direct to investors, we want to show them the difference between where they are, where they can go. I'm sure you've had some bad experiences investing at a distance yourself. And it does take oh, yeah. a lot of trust, takes, takes a process, takes a really good team. Things have to be dialed in where you don't feel like you are chasing your own tail. So the way we pivoted it is we're basically very proactive in educating our clients. They know exactly, they may not know what the full process looks like, but they know exactly what the hundred feet in front of them looks like. And that has been our, our, our biggest change. Instead of them asking us for questions, we're telling them 
what the next step of the acquisition process is, even though they've been through it a hundred million times before, even if it's their fourth, fifth properties or their thousand property, it doesn't matter. Our process typically we do find is a lot different. So once we break that first deal with them, it, it, it's kind of game over, right? It, it's, it's, it's almost like we, we build the investor profile. That's another thing that we've done was we built an investor profile. We know what their preferences are. So when I go and I look at a property, I know exactly which investor this is, you know, I can kind of pair it up with at the same time or a pool of investors that we want to bring in on this if it's a bigger project. Um, so that's been our, our biggest thing. And the emphasis on social media with the educational component has been huge. Sure. So where do you see uh, our current market heading? Wow. You know, I don't I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm always solution driven. So based on what I'm seeing right now, the Florida market is a little bit unique because we're seeing the market still going up. There are some slow signs of of things, quote unquote, slowing down, but we still have clients coming in with strong offers. I still see a lot of cash deals, right? Instead of using hard money. If we are getting appraisals on property, uh, the appraisal gaps are a lot, a lot smaller. For example, 12 months ago, I used to see 40, 50, 60. First, I used to expect a 30 to $50,000 appraisal gap between the appraised value and the purchase price that we were acquiring the property for, knowing that the property is going to go up. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing now is I'm seeing like a 5, 10, maybe, maybe a 15,000 appraisal gap, mm-hmm. right? The purchase prices in my area, Palm Beach, Broward, and Miami-Dade counties have slowed down and they're not going up exponentially anymore. They're going up linearly, right? While the appraisal prices are going up exponentially, catching up everywhere. We used to see properties going over 8, 10, 12% over ask. I'm seeing now between 4 to 5, maybe 6% over ask. I'm not seeing as aggressive you know, due diligence periods anymore. So I'm seeing that ease up a little bit. And just with everything that's happening, a lot, a, a, another indicator that we look at from the, from the micro and the macroeconomics point of view, it's we're also seeing other things slowing down, like luxury goods, cars. We're seeing some of that going up. Inventory, don't get me wrong, Jack, it's still very low. I think I have 14,000 properties as opposed to 26,000 properties the same time this year. I mean, last mm-hmm. year, but now I'm not seeing properties on the market for seven days, I'm seeing them on the market for like 12 to 14 days. So that's going a little bit higher, which I think it's, I think it's a good, 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 good thing because it allows for us as investors to now start having more opportunity on the acquisition side and not having to totally bank on this huge equity wave over the next, you know, three, six, nine months. I mean, like we were just chatting in the beginning of the show. I had I had an investor who acquired a property for four fifty in October of twenty one. Mm-hmm. We're about to list this property, probably a little bit north of eight hundred, about one hundred and fifty, hundred twenty to one hundred fifty k in renovations. Still, still like two hundred and fifty thousand dollar profit return right. you know cash on cash return on that is you need to put out a calculator <laughs> yeah no those are those are great returns I, i've run into a couple other investors who do exactly what you suggest like in florida and frankly that's the only thing that i've been able to find aside of of one rental property strategy i've run into in california that that seems to work in that market 
You're yeah, talking about such bigger spreads than I I would in Fargo. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of my investors now wanting to get rid of their properties because I, you know, we're all kind of seeing some of the indicators that are not as favorable for us to hold on to properties. Like, but Florida is such a tricky market because our rents have doubled year over year. So even if, all right, cool, maybe you don't cash out and you take, you know, two hundred percent. Maybe you just hold on to that property. The market over time is going to go up and continue to going up. Now, how much it's going to go down, none of us really know. But me being solution oriented, I don't I, I'm not telling my guys not to buy because there's always a deal. Always, always, right. always somebody wants to sell. And it's the right time for them to sell. It's the right time for somebody to buy. You just have to be aware of the risk and what your risk tolerance is and making sure that you have plan B if plan A doesn't work out necessarily. The reason why that the, the reason I keep bringing up that one investor is because that's been one of the lowest returns that we've gotten, but also the delay on the project as far as renovation. It's been the biggest project, but the delays on it have been absolutely crazy. We, we're you know we're waiting we've been waiting for a kitchen for the last four or five months, right? Yeah. And the supply chain is just wrecked right We have now. no idea when it's going to come in. Next month, they say next month, and the month after, they say the month after that. We're, we we always keep like appliances and stuff like that on back order because how we acquire properties, we know we're always going to need them, so we mm -hmm. keep them on stock. But for guys who aren't you know, moving as many properties, they're going to be a little bit in trouble. Everything is delayed. Yeah. Hopefully, that's, that changes. Yeah, I've, I've just never seen the market switch as quickly as it did. You know, like a year ago, it was, you we, you could barely keep up. I mean, the market was hot. The The inventory was churning like super fast, like you were saying. And now it's like a flip of the coin on the other side of things here now. Everybody's kind of holding tight. Not as much. Yeah, all, the, all of a sudden, everybody's like seat belts on, harnessed on. <laughs> all right. To put things into perspective, this house that we're in, August of 2021, sold for 280. My next door neighbor just sold their house for 450. Not renovated, pretty much a original house built in 1980s. We have a we have a renovated house, you know, hardwood floors, tile, all that. They still have a pink bathroom, pink and blue bathroom, right? 450. Yeah. That's almost double. Are you thinking of selling? Where are you going to go? You know, I know these guys. If you if you look up EliteAgentSecrets.com, they might be able to help you. Yeah. So, no, Peter, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I, I, I'd like you, I, I'd hope you consider coming back because I would like to talk about scaling because what you're talking about with everything associated with the marketing and, and helping the investors and everything. You obviously have to have developed a team process workflow associated with all of this. And, and you couldn't scale to the level you have without having some of those T's crossed and I's dotted. So it, it'd be a great conversation. Yeah. I, and Jack, I would love, I would love to come back um, and share some goodies, but like I, you're pointing out, we couldn't scale without a process and a system in place that's duplicatable. That's not dependent on myself. And it's not dependent on anybody on the team. We leverage technology like our life depends on it. That's for sure. Yeah. When it breaks, it sucks, but we'll take the good with the bad. Right. So again, EliteAgentsSecrets.com. Uh, check out Peter and his team. 
But before I let you go, I warned it was, warned you it was coming. Is there a question or a concept you wished we would have chatted about here today? You know, I think maybe even some of the we, I know we chatted a lot of high level, but now that mm-hmm. I think about the basics of acquiring that first property, maybe putting that first system in place on what to even look for in a property or what makes a good deal, a good deal. Maybe that's something that we can chat about next time. Yeah, that would be great. So again, Peter, this was a great conversation. I hope we can uh, chat again here in the near future. Thank you, Jack. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.